Well, welcome everyone. Tedakoto Tepano o Aotearoa Unitarians. Tedakoto Naman Hiri. No mai, hire mai, hire mai. Kitene hui topa o te atua. Tedakoto Tedatato Katoa. We have come into this virtual room of hope from near and far, where our hearts and minds are open to the future. We have come into this room of justice where we set aside our fear to name freely every oppression. We've come into this room of love where we know there that no lives are insignificant. We have come into this room of song where we unite our voices in the somber and beautiful melodies of life. We have come together to find our way through an uncertain future. We have come together to find our way to be fully alive. It is in our hands. And if you have a chalice or a candle, um, let's light it. If, there, if ever there were a time for a candle in the darkness, this would be it. Using a spark of hope, kindle the flame of love, ignite the light of peace, and feed the flame of justice. I think we all should light a virtual candle for mm -hmm. all the places in the world, Europe, Singapore, others that are seeing an upsurge in infection um, and and as we begin a transition here in New Zealand that raises anxieties for us as well so for all those who deal with it on every level people like our dear Kay who has to live with it in a variety of ways from colleagues that have trouble with the whole idea to uh, the patients that show up and the new mothers that worry about it. So I light this candle for that. And then for all those joys and concerns that are in our hearts and minds, but left unspoken. Okay. My reading for today is a Hasidic tale. A young man who had just completed his spiritual training and was eagerly intent on becoming a teacher moved to a new town. He tried to teach, but no one came. The only spiritual interest in the town were the many followers of a wise and well-known rabbi. Frustrated, the young teacher devised a plan to embarrass the old master and gain students for himself. He captured a small bird and one day went to where the master was seated, surrounded by his disciples. Holding the small bird in his hand, he spoke directly to the master. 
If you are so wise, tell me now, is this bird in my hand alive or is it dead? His plan was this. If the master said the bird was dead, he would open his hand, the bird would fly away. The master would be wrong and students would come to him. If the master said the bird was alive, he would quickly crush the bird in his hand and open it and say, see, the bird is dead. Again, the master would be wrong and the young teacher would gain students. He sat poised in front of the master, demanding an answer. Tell me, if you are so wise, is this bird alive or is it dead? The master looked back at him with great compassion and answered quite simply, Really, my friend, it is up to you. So my title for my musing today is, I doubt Henny Penny was a Unitarian Universalist. After some of my recent musings confronting the disintegration of social cohesion due to Delta and, that, and how little COP26 in Glasgow will achieve in reducing greenhouse gases, you might think I'm channeling Henny Penny, a.k.a. Chicken Little. You remember the story. After an acorn falls in her head, she panics, running around the barnyard, yelling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Of course, Hetty is mistaken, much to the amusement of the other farm animals, as they point out, the sky is fine. In my defense, I really can't be a Unitarian Universalist and channel Henny Penny. They just can't be both. Historically, the Unitarian view sees human beings as essentially and inherently good at heart. Not perfect, but gradually perfectible. Given the right care, the right support, the right awareness, the right circumstances, our job then is to cultivate the good within us and within each other to cultivate our character. The universalist view sees God as essentially and inherently good at heart. Not an angry and punitive patriarch, but rather an infinitely loving presence who would sacrifice everything in order for us to realize our job is to love the hell out of the world. These two ways of perceiving ourselves, our existence, and our purpose arose in and separated themselves from the dire doomsday warnings of their religious parents. They rejected the reigning message that the sky is perpetually falling, and we that and we that we inherently flaw and we inherently flawed human beings are falling with it helplessly inescapably unitarian universalists are confident in themselves in human nature and in the nature of the universe 
We've fortified ourselves with the lubricant of universal love and the number eight fencing wire of science and human ingenuity. And we're good to go. No matter how dire things look, we expect things to turn out reasonably well in the end. Or in New Zealand, she'll be right. This is a product of our mostly middle class, mostly white, experience of things turning out reasonably well in the end. The story of Hetty Penny has been told for centuries around the world, and there are many variations of it. Author and cartoonist James Thurber has written another version. Once upon a time, a little red hen was picking up stones and worms and seeds in the barnyard when something fell on her head. The heavens are falling down, she shouted, and she began to run, still shouting, the heavens are falling down. All the hens that she met and all the roosters and turkeys and ducks laughed at her, smugly, the way you laugh at one who is terrified when you aren't. What did you say, they chortled? The heavens are falling down, cried the little red hen. Finally, a very pompous rooster said to her, Don't be silly, my dear. It was only a pea that fell on your head. And he laughed and laughed, and everybody else except the little red hen laughed. Then suddenly, with an awful roar, great chunks of crystallized cloud and huge blocks of icy blue sky began to drop on everybody from above for the heavens were actually falling down. Thurber's moral, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if they did. It's interesting to note that Thurber's fable was first published in February of 1939. In September of that year, Hitler invaded Poland and the Second World World War began, and the heavens did fall down. And so when things don't go as we expect, when the world comes undone, we're often at a loss, not at all sure what to do. Whether we have the kind of personality that's triggered to get out there and fight, or the personality that wants to flee before the coming storm, or the personality that freezes and pulls protectively inward, suddenly it seems like the sky is falling. And since our inherited theology is rooted in an optimistic view of humans and history, have not prepared us for such a calamity, we're prone to experience a crisis of faith when things aren't turning out as we hope. When the human cruelty of World War wanted to challenge not only our collective confidence in human goodness, but also in God's goodness, Unitarians and Universalists were led to examine the truth of their message and their expectations. That crisis of faith led many away from belief in God, giving birth to the humanist movement within our tradition in the 1930s. 
what does our faith tradition offer us for resources at such times? Well, that depends on what you think the need is. Is the need to calm our fears or is to help us live into and navigate our fears? If we're feeling so unsafe that we are trapped in a perpetual state of alarm, we will not be able to access the openness and creativity we need to see possibilities and opportunities and the path out of the danger. So we need to find ways to calm ourselves enough to access higher ground, a place of more creative functioning. And we need to stay alarmed and alert enough to search for and find the road leading through this time to a future infused with more of the values of sustainability, compassion, justice, kindness, and openness that we hold so dearly. That requires taking a longer view. George Lakey, a Quaker and sociologist, points out that necessary change happens during tumult, not during times of tranquility. Tranquility with its tiny, incremental, essentially in insignificant changes often keeps unjust conditions stuck in place. Lakey used the metaphor of a forge in which iron is heated up in order to form it. When a society heats up, as painful and as dangerous as that can be, it becomes much more pliable than when everybody's calm. And being pliable opens the possibility for a society to bend. To bend in very scary direction, yes or at long last in the direction that people have been longing for. Times such as we are enduring frustrate and sadness, but Lakey empathizes. Relationships fracture, racism becomes more burnt, violence more frequent, the earth gets hotter. However, the volatility also makes positive change easier to get. In the polarized 1930s, progressive movements got changes they could only dream of in the 20s. New Zealand's first labor government began in 1935 and lasted until 1949. Voters rejected the coalition government in protest at its harsh policies and in response to the grave economic and social impact of the Great Depression. Labor promised social and economic security and presented a more benign image under leader Michael Joseph Savage. In the pre-war period, labor was openly socialist in its political aims. It began to nationalize large sections of the economy, including the Bank of New Zealand, coal mines, and domestic air services. Broadcasting transport were brought under government, under the control of government ministers to stimulate New Zealand's depressed economy. Labor increased, 
increased wage rates, launched a program of public works and state housing construction, and introduced a guaranteed price for dairy products. The Social Security Act, 1938, greatly expanded the scope of the welfare state, introducing universal free health services and extending benefits for the aged, sick, and unemployed. Lakey doesn't know if genuine change will result, but goes on to say, I feel lucky to be alive now because this is the best chance of my lifetime to make really big progressive change. He calls the powerful conditions emerging under the surface and opening new possibilities, signals of emergence. I see evidence right now that these trends will give us a chance to gain victories we've never been able to reach before. Progressives need to breathe deeply, he writes, and to make our peace with the reality. To that end, UUA staff member Sue Phillips wrote, it will be tempting to hunker down, to retreat into spaces where we might be soothed, our realities affirmed and unchallenged. Those of us who are mourning must, of course, grieve. But in our grieving, we must not hide, or we risk being unfaithful to call at the very center of Unitarian Universalism to co-create a world of love and justice. Creating beloved community is messy, gritty, fearsome, and hard. This is the time we've been practicing for. The only faithful response to this moment of extraordinary division is to show ourselves and our communities that another way is possible. My friends, we were made for this work, and now we have to actually do it. The very same UU optimism that can get in our way can also allow us to look for opportunity in the chaos, even when the firmament falls. I'd like to end with this meditation by Elizabeth Tarbox. Do not live too far in the past or the future. Live now. In each moment, expect a miracle. Ten kinds of birds at the feeder and the tracks of a fox in the snow. Pick up a magnifying glass and scrutinize the crocus. See the pollen at the center of the daffodil. Life's dust, death defying life. Be astonished at the flower, arrested by its beauty. Run barefoot through the garden early in the morning and hope the wild geese fly by. Get silly and laugh loudly with your grandchildren or your grandparents 
refuse to leave the dead behind, but bring their memory to all your chores and games and corners of quiet, warm tears. Know always that joy and sorrow are woven together. One cannot be without the other. If you love, know that sometimes your love will bring you tears. If you grieve, know it is because at some time you were willing to love. Do not be afraid to die, but expect life. Well, if that doesn't brighten your day, nothing will. My closing words for today are from the diary of Anne Frank. I can feel the suffering of millions. And yet, if I look up into the heavens, I think it will come, it will all come right. And that this cruelty too will end. And that peace and tranquility will return again. In the meantime, I must uphold my ideals. For perhaps the time will come when I shall be able to carry them out. As you can tell, I've kind of restructured my order of service. Um, and we'll extinguish the chalice now and then have notices and go into breakout. We extinguish the flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. So I'm going to put you in your breakout groups. And a question. See, I keep trying to get you to work from how you, what's going on inside you internally and get you out of your head into your heart and your feelings. I'm finding that virtually impossible, but I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> uh, and so what I'd like you to do is, how are you dealing with what may be the world coming undone? How are you dealing with what may be the world coming undone?